Well, good morning. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you here this morning. Um, it's already been mentioned. My name is Jason Eamon. Uh, I am Ron Eamon's son. You probably know him way better than I do, or way better than uh, you know me. I know him pretty well, too, I suppose. Uh, but uh, I've known your pastor, Matt, for quite a while, I think since junior high or high school, which is uh, a lot longer ago than either one of us want to admit at this point. Um, but I've known him for a while. I got a chance to minister with him over the years in many different contexts and uh, appreciate him greatly. Uh, I've known Pastor Caleb for quite a while, too. Um, and I'm thankful for these dear brothers. I'm thankful for your testimony here uh, at Grace in West Valley. Um, I'm very thankful for the work of Christ here. I'm thankful for your pastors uh, who have given themselves to the ministry. And I'm, I'm thankful for the decades of grace that God has given to this church family to stand as a light in this community. And so I count it a great privilege to uh, be here with you this morning. Uh, before we get into the word, we'll be uh, in Hebrews chapter one. Actually, we'll get to Hebrews chapter one. Would you go to Hebrews chapter two with me? I'd invite you to turn there. Uh, we'll pray and then we'll dive into the word and see what God has for us this morning. So Hebrews chapter two, and let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning, we desperately need your help. We come with uh, eyes, oftentimes spiritual eyes, uh, blinded or at least dimmed to what your word would have for us. We come with ears oftentimes clogged from the world, from our own sinful temptations. We find it hard to listen we come with affections and desires far too, far too small than we really should. And so we come this morning as your children confessing to you that we desperately need your help. We pray as the psalmist prayed that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. We pray also with great hope and expectation that the Spirit would do His work in our hearts and through the Word that we would not leave here unchanged. But that as we see and hear the words of Jesus, that we would be transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. So Father, help us please this morning. Show us Jesus. We trust you with this task, and we submit ourselves to your work, and we look forward to the results for your honor and for your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm currently making my way slowly through a book titled Unbroken. It is the biography of a man named Louis Zamperini. Now, he may be familiar to you in multiple different contexts, but uh, uh, he was a World War II veteran. He was an Olympic athlete, but he was a Christian evangelist uh, also from probably the 1950s uh, all the way up through the 90s or two th early 2000s. <clears throat> a fascinating story uh, of his life. He had quite the uh, interesting uh, events that happened to him. Uh, before he was drafted into World War II, he was an uh, Olympic athlete, uh, a very well-known Olympic athlete, um, and was 
highly regarded for his running skills, uh, his distance running, as well as just his athletic prowess. He was a very athletic young man. Uh, coming into World War II, he became a, a pilot and was on a bomber ship, uh, a bomber airship through World War II that flew some very dangerous, mis dangerous missions. Uh, and one of the most fascinating parts of his story is that during World War II, his plane was shot down uh, over the Pacific. And for 47 days, he drifted in a life raft on the Pacific Ocean trying to survive. An incredible tale uh, of just doing everything that he could do to survive. Eventually, he drifted into some of the Pacific Islands. Unfortunately, the island he drifted to was held by the Japanese. He was then captured as a war prisoner uh, and went through some incredible torture uh, before the end of World War II and he was released. He endured some incredible things through his time in World War II. His boat that he drifted on drifted for over 2,000 miles through the Pacific. Uh, and it was an incredible feat of survival. Now, I'm coming to a text with you this morning from Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 2. And I want to notice there, <clears throat> if you'll come with me to Hebrews 2, because there's a specific warning here in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 about drifting. And here's what the scripture says. It says, Therefore we must give the, most, the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. Maybe this morning you're here and you're not spiritually where you want to be. Maybe you feel that sense of drift. Maybe you, uh, maybe you started off January really great and you had some nice spiritual goals for 2023. And here we are at the beginning of February and you're like, uh, not quite where I expected to be. Maybe you feel like you're just spiritually trying to keep your head above water. Whatever the case this morning, I think the scriptures would give us some very clear instructions and a very clear warning that we don't drift from a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a significant danger for us. Now, to kind of set the stage as we want, because we're going to come from here, Hebrews chapter 2, and we want to come back to 1 because we want to come to a solution. We're not here just to make a warning, right? But we want to set the stage for these warnings. The book of Hebrews actually gives five warnings. So we want to set some contextual stage for this. We're going to revisit Hebrews 2 in just a minute, and then we're going to come back to Hebrews chapter 1 to talk about the solution to drifting. Five warnings in the book of Hebrews. This is the first one from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It's the danger, warning against the danger of drifting. In Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, we have the warning against the danger of hard hearts that prevent us from entering into God's rest. You can flip there. I'm going to read a couple of these passages just to kind of set the stage for this. But Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13 says this, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It's the warning against hard hearts. Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 gives us the next warning. It's the danger of not maturing as we should. 
In Hebrews uh, 5 and 6, he kind of summarizes that argument, but here's Hebrews 5, verses 11 to 14. He says, of whom we have much to say. So he's trying to teach them about, uh, uh, we're kind of jumping into the middle of it, but he's trying to teach them these spiritual truths. He says, we have lots to say about these spiritual truths, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those that are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's the warning of staying in a state of spiritual immaturity. And he, he puts that warning out to them in Hebrews chapter five, and, uh, chapter 5 and verse 6, uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6. The fourth warning comes to us in Hebrews 10. It's, against the, it's a warning against the danger of willful sin. So here's kind of a summary of it in verses 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 26 through 27. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful and a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. He warns the readers that the, of the danger of willfully continuing in sin. The last warning comes uh, in Hebrews twelve. And it's kind of summarized in verses 25 and 26. He says, See or be aware that you do not refuse him who speaks. It's the danger of indifference to the point of denial. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet not once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Five specific warnings to the book of Hebrews. Now, we've kind of gone rapidly through them. But I think understanding this broad context of what's happening in the whole book and these five specific warnings that are given to us in the book of Hebrews make, help us make sense of what happens in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Right? And if you noticed, as we went through that, multiple times through each of these warnings, he gives them the uh, awareness of what they're listening to or not listening to, really, right? Um, You saw it there at the beginning of the text that we just read from Hebrews 12, verses 25 and 26. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. We saw it again. Um, uh, You get the sense of it. In the fourth danger from Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27, the danger of willful sin. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, you've heard this, you've heard this truth. The danger of not maturing is wrapped up in this concept of we're trying to teach you these truths and you're not listening. You're not hearing. You're not maturing. You are not capable of receiving these truths that we're trying to teach you because you're immature the warning, uh, the second warning, the danger of hard hearts. You have 
uh, uh, this evil heart of unbelief that's in you, and there's this exhortation that you don't harden your heart, but you receive the warning and the words that are given to you. Now, this pattern from the book of Hebrews is not there just to get us to focus on the problems and live in fear and avoidance. We're not called to live a Christian life of fear. Our objective as believers is not just to not sin. We don't get the luxury of just not doing certain things so we can please Jesus Christ. Now, that's obviously part of it. But we're not all about, as Christians, what we don't do. We are all about Jesus Christ, right? So these warnings aren't there to get us to live in fear and avoidance. But in understanding the problem, its intention is to focus us on the solution. So we want to dig into the problem just a bit to begin to clarify the solution. Now, unlike Louis Zamperini, who drifted aimlessly on the Pacific for over 2,000 miles, we can do something about our drift, we can do something to prevent us from drifting. So come back with me to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's start to push towards some solutions, okay? Here's the warning. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed, pay attention to, listen to, the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Now, this warning really points us back to the solution, okay? <clears throat> Did you notice the transition word at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, right? This is a transition word. It should cause us to perk up, to pay attention. What's coming after this is the result of something that has come before. Um, it, 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 it's really a word that connects one truth to another truth. Since X is true, then Y, right? Uh, for those of you who are computer savvy and literate, right? You recognize this. This is in all kinds of computer programming, right? To get machines to do what we want them to do, we say, hey, pay attention. If this happens, then you do this, right? And this is exactly, in a literary sense, what is happening here in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Since these things are true, therefore, this, you need to pay attention to what's going on here. Pay attention to this. For us, really, it's a logical progression. Now, I want to walk with you to identify these transitions so that you can see the big picture pattern of what's happening in the book of Hebrews, right? Therefore, pay attention to what it's there for, okay? It's there to aim us back to a core truth. uh, And we see it there in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. In the second warning, the danger of not entering his rest by having hard hearts resisting his truth. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, it, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. In response or in conjunction with this danger of failing to mature, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, okay? He's bridging these concepts together. He's connecting them together. 
uh, in, in the warning about the danger of willful sin, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, we find the conjunction again. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, and he goes on to describe the openness that we have because of Jesus Christ to come into the presence of God. The final warning, the warning about indifference. We have Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, who do all of these therefore conjunctions point us to? Jesus. Every single one. They point us back to Jesus Christ. And by doing so, they reinforce the theme of this book that Jesus is better than anything or anyone. And in order to stop our drift, we need to listen to Jesus Christ. God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ. He has fully, one commentator put it this way, he has fully and finally revealed his character and his will by his son. So now we've kind of set the table here for coming back to Hebrews chapter 1. So come back with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Let's summarize for just a minute. We are prone to spiritual drift. Now, we're prone to all the other warnings that are in Hebrews chapter 5 too, right? We're prone to all of those, but we want to focus in on this one. We are prone to spiritual drift. If you've lived any time as a believer, you sense this, right? You wonder why you wake up on Monday morning dull towards the things of God when you had just worshiped the day before. You long in your spirit to respond better to the world around you and the troubles that ensnare your soul. But once again, you feel far away, right? We sense this spiritual drift. How do we solve this problem? The, the problem is rooted in our failure to listen to Jesus Christ. So now that we've gotten to Jesus, we really need to ask ourselves two very basic questions here. One, why should we listen to Jesus? And two, how do we listen to Jesus? I know Pastor Matt preaches a long time, but there is no possible way that I'm going to get to both of those things, okay? I would love to, but you would uh, be way longer than even him. So we're going to primarily address question number one, why should we listen to Jesus? And we will, in some very, very brief ways, towards the end of the sermon, address question number two. I would encourage your meditation on both of those questions. Why should we listen to Jesus? And how do we listen to Jesus? So, let's dig into that first question. Why should we listen to Jesus? And I think the very beginning of this book addresses this question with beauty and significance and depth. And so we want to plummet just a little bit. I would suggest that there are three very specific reasons that we are given to listen to Jesus Christ. One, because of his position. Secondly, because of his nature. 
And third, because of his works, because of his position, because of his nature, and because of his works. Now, we understand the concept of listening to somebody because of their position. We live in a world in which an individual can tweet something and people can make or lose money because we listen to them, right? We live in a world in which what people say in certain contexts matters significantly. Now, when I tweet, nobody makes or loses money. I can guarantee that. (laughs) So why is it that somebody like Elon Musk can tweet something and people can lose thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars or make hundreds of thousands of dollars? Why is that true? Well, because of their position. And this is what the text, the beginning text of Hebrews chapter 1 gives to us. It tells us why we should listen to Jesus because of his position, the position that he holds. Look at that there in verse, uh, verse 2. God is speaking to us, okay? So we're, I'm, I'm skipping by or I'm glossing over a very significant portion that we don't have time to speak about this morning, the fact that God has spoken to us, right? He has spoken to us. And really, our responsibility is to listen, right? He has spoken. He is not silent, but he has spoken to us and he spoke to mankind in the past in many different ways. The prophets, right? You can look through your Old Testament, all of those books that have names like Ezekiel. All of those books are named after the prophets. This is God's message through Ezekiel to his people. God has spoken. And even in uh, very unique and oftentimes humorous ways. Do you remember the account of Balaam's donkey? God spoke, and he spoke through a donkey. God has not left us without his word, and he has spoken to us. And in time past, he spoke to us, spoke to us in all of these different kinds of ways. But the writer of Hebrews focuses our attention on this very key truth that now God is speaking to us through his son, Jesus Christ, Verse 2, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Jesus was appointed heir of all things. The inheritor, the one who has the right to the possessions of the Father. The one who has the ability and authority to act in his stead. What does this tell us about Jesus Christ? I think first and foremost it identifies the fact that he is the owner of all things. As the heir, he has the right of ownership. Everything in existence belongs to him. You remember the account Jesus told a parable. It's in Matthew 21, Mark 12, Luke 20. So he he tells the parable about the man who owned a vineyard and a wine press This is, uh, uh, I I think the text that I put down was in Matthew 21, verse 38. He owns a vineyard and a wine press, and he's going on a trip. He goes to a different country, and he brings in some people to manage this vineyard and wine press for him. And as the harvest comes, uh, he sends some servants back to gain the, the profit from this farm. And the men who he left as tenants of this reject his messengers. Some of them they kill. 
And so as Jesus tells the parable, he says that uh, 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 the man who owns the land says, I will send my son. Surely they will listen to my son. And as the son comes, the wicked tenants say to themselves, this is Matthew 21, verse 38, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. We will possess what he rightly owns if we kill him. Now, Jesus told that parable as a, Uh, indictment against the Pharisees who had been left as charges of God's message and his gospel and who had wickedly rejected the prophets and now were in the process of rejecting his son. His son, Jesus, was the heir, the heir of all things. Why should we listen to Jesus? Because he owns it all. Let us not be like the wicked tenants who refuse to listen. Not only is it an identification of ownership, but it is an assertion of authority. Because he owns it, he has the right to do with it what he pleases. It's his. Now, we live in a culture in which we have great access to lots of things. And I'm sure, as with myself, we all own things, right? Cars, houses, possessions. How do we feel when someone misuses something that we own, right? We call the cops, right? Or report it stolen, or report it abused, or report it destroyed. There's lawsuits and all kinds of complications because we own it and we have the right to do with it what we please. And no one else has the right to come in and take what we own, or misuse what we own. Why should you listen to Jesus? You should listen to Jesus because he has the authority. As the heir of the Father, to say what is right, what is wrong. Not only does this position as the heir give him ownership and authority, but it also links him closely to the Father. What does uh, Jesus say to his disciples? Remember in John 14, uh, one of the disciples say, hey, show us the Father. Jesus says in John 14, verse 9, he says, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you say, I really want to hear from God? You know, what, you know what the scriptures would tell you? You have. You've heard from God through Jesus Christ. And if you've heard from Jesus, you've heard from the Father. Because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He goes on to link this even deeper into our salvation. If you're secure in Jesus, you are secure in the Father. In, uh, uh, back again in John 10, where he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There's this inextricable link between Jesus and the Father. And this is not something new. This was something that was promised even in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, The psalmist in Psalm 2 verse 8 says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. 
Jesus was the prophesied owner, inheritor of all that the Father created. It's part of the gospel presentation. Embracing Jesus as the heir of all things was a key part to Peter's gospel presentation at the day of Pentecost. He says it this way in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is who Jesus is. He is the heir of all things. It gives him authority and ownership. It links him directly to the Father. It secures our salvation, and it's a declaration of his exclusivity. We see it here in our text in Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels as he has, by inheritance, as the heir of all things, obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus is superior to the angels because of his inheritance. No other heavenly being has the position that Jesus has because he is the heir of all things. Now, hopefully we're beginning to see or beginning to be reminded of the position that Jesus holds. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, listen to him, we say, okay. He is the heir of all things. Now, there is great hope, I think, in this. And we don't have time to plumb the depths of this part of it. But I want to I leave it with you because it's incredibly hopeful. Jesus, as the exalted heir, heir, has all of these privileges and authority and position. And here we find written to us in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. To wonder at the truth that not only does Jesus hold this position, but that because of his death and his burial and his resurrection, he exalts us to that position too. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. There is incredible hope as we listen to Jesus because he, as the heir, speaks for God. Why else should we listen to Jesus as if this is not enough? Why else should we listen to Jesus? We must listen to Jesus because of his nature. He's described as the light, right? Um, we have it there in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of his glory, continually throughout the New Testament, even throughout the Old Testament prophecies, we have aimed at our understanding this concept that Jesus is light or reflects the glory of God. We see it in the Annunciation to the Shepherds at the beginning of his birth, right? We have just gone through the Christmas season. The passages are fresh with us. In Luke chapter 2, the Annunciation to the Shepherds, what was significant about this, apart from the fact that it's angels talking to you out in the middle of nowhere, right? 
The glory of God shone round about them. The brightness of God's glory shone down to them. And they were rightly afraid. Uh, there is a name of God in here, the Lord of hosts, right? <clears throat> and the, the, uh, the, the host of angels that are there. I think this is a strong indication that these shepherds witnessed not only the brilliance of the glory of God shining down from heaven, but caught a glimpse of the armies of heaven. I'd be afraid of that too. And they were. But it was the brightness of God's glory that grabbed their attention and announced to them this truth that there is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and you're going to find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And they left that place praising God and giving glory to God in the highest because the light of God came into the darkness of the world. We read of it in John's incarnation story. His is a little different than the other gospel writers. But at the beginning of John, in John chapter 1, he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. This is Jesus, the light of God, the, the brightness of his glory who has come into the world. We see it break into the experience that Jesus has with his disciples on the mountain at the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He takes them up to the mountain, um, and, uh, 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 and he's by himself. And it says there, and this is the text in uh, Matthew 17, the text there in Matthew 17, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And I want you to note something here. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Hebrews 1 acted out on the Mount of Transfiguration. The brilliance of the glory of God shining through Jesus Christ and the voice of God speaking to the disciples, Listen to Jesus! should listen to Jesus because he is the brightness of the glory of God. We not only have this at the annunciation of Jesus through the ministry of Jesus, but we have this at the end too. As God restores all things, here's what Revelation 21 tells us about that city. 
says the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. When the writer of Hebrews says that God has spoken to us by his Son, Jesus Christ, and we should listen to him because he is the brightness of God's glory. In the words of Scripture, we are confronted with the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Listen to him because he is the brilliance of God's glory. And not only that, the phrase just following that, he is the express image of his person. This is his nature. This is who he is. Now, this is admittedly an incredibly difficult sentiment to communicate. Literally, the nature of God is engraved in Jesus. Or Jesus carries all of the features of God. The invisible nature of God becomes visible through Jesus Christ. Um, writer uh, Paul, the writer of Colossians, puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 15 through 20. He says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of our all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or whether things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, if that sounds like Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, I think it's intentional, because it does. And we'll get to some of the other things later. But Paul, as the writer of Hebrews, says, pay attention to Jesus because he is the express image of God. He makes visible the invisible. We see this also in the work of the gospel. Paul again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light, again, Hebrews 1, the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded light to shine out into darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Jesus reveals to us the Father. How can we understand this? I mean, how can you really encapsulate that in any of our human experience? But maybe in some small ways. Uh, do you remember the ancient uh, uh, stamps that kings and authorities had? A lot of times it came on a signet ring, right? Where there was a special symbol engraved into the signet ring. And to stamp the king's authority on something, they would drip a little bit of wax on a document or seal a letter with it. And the king would take that signet ring and he would impress that image on that ring in the wax that was on that document, giving it significance and authority. When it had that stamp on it, this was the words of the king, this was the words of the authority. 
In the same way, the writer of Hebrews says, God has spoken to us through Jesus Christ, who is the very image of God. And as Jesus says it, God says it. And as Jesus demonstrates it, this is who God is. He reflects the very person of God. So we should listen to Jesus because he reflects every part of God's glory. Lastly, and I'm kind of summarizing these three concepts within the first four verses here. We should listen to Jesus because he, of his inheritance. We should listen to Jesus because of his person, who he is, the very image of God. But we should listen to Jesus, thirdly, because of his works, because of what he did. These are some of the very same reasonings that Jesus gave to the Pharisees when they doubted him. You remember uh, they came to him and they were starting to accuse him. And he says, what are you, for what good thing that I am doing are you accusing me of, right? Which one of my healing miracles to do good to people who need good done to them are you going to bring as an accusation against me? My works testify to who I am and my speaking text testifies to who I am and the people who have gone before me to announce that I am coming testify to who I am. And we have the same concept here. Why should we listen to Jesus? Because of his works, because of what he's done Chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, we have been spoken to by Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Here's the phrase. Through whom he also made the worlds. He has created all things. We saw it as we read through that little passage at the beginning of uh, John's gospel, John's annunciation, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. He is the creator. Life begins from him. He made all things. Now, I think there's some interesting connections, and once again, we don't have time to explore them in the context of what we're going for this morning, but there's some interesting connections between Jesus as the Word the name, the word. And as you make your way back to the beginning and we find the repeated text in Genesis chapter one and God said, let there be light. And God said, let the animals exist. And God said, let the plants exist. And God said, with his words, he created all of these things. And we find these New Testament uh, 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 identifications to us that Jesus as the word of God is the creator of all things. His work is connected to the word. We should listen to him because he's made all things. But not only that, look at chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, towards the end of it. Not only has he made all things, but he sustains all things. He holds it all together. He's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. He sustains all. Everything. We, we read it already in Colossians chapter 1. And again, I'm kind of referencing some of these passages again, but they're all similar. And they're all similar because they declare to us the nature and the work of Jesus Christ. That he is the, not only the image of the invisible God, he's the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. 
everything held together by the word and the power of Jesus Christ. Now, again, I think there's some incredible illustrations through physics and nature as we explore things here. Um, Scientists, as much as they like to convince us that they know lots of things, which they do, don't know everything. And there are many scientists who have in their uh, explorations as they dig down into the quantum physics of what happens between electrons and neutrons and all of the, cell, the, the very atomic level of things that are happening. And you know what they found out? That they know less than they thought they did. And there are mysterious forces at work between those atoms to hold things together that they cannot in physical, in physical words explain in a less scientific fashion. How often have you felt your life ready to fly apart? Pulled apart by the world, by your own temptations, by trouble at every, at every corner. And yet you feel yourself held together by something that maybe at that point you can't explain. We have a Christ who holds all things together. And we should listen to him. Not only his creative work and his sustaining work, but we have brilliantly declared to us here we should listen to Jesus because of his redemptive work. Verse 3, the last part of verse 3, he upholds all things by the word of his power, the middle of verse 3 there. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus should be listened to because he has redeemed us. He made purification for our sins by himself. He needed no assistance. He didn't need help from someone or something. He did the work of redemption by himself. And not only that, he paid the full price for our sins. Not just a covering, not just a temporary relief, but a purification, a work completely done by him to completely cleanse us from all sins. And in finality, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is a declaration of completion. That every sin of every believer has been purified completely. No fragment of guilt. No faint stain. But everything. All purged by Jesus. And he has been seated. Not in a humble place but he has been exalted to the victorious place at the right hand of the Father. Now, this specific structure is mentioned another time in the book of Hebrews. Actually, two more times. Hebrews chapter 8, and we probably don't have time to go there, but Hebrews, write these down. Hebrews 8, 1, and Hebrews 10, 12. Okay? This is a reminder that comes up amidst all of these warnings. This is a reminder that comes up again and again throughout the book of Hebrews, that this Jesus has redeemed us to the point of conclusion, completion, finality. We have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. That's Hebrews 8. Hebrews 10, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. 
In Hebrews 12, 2, this is the third one. We have a Savior who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, and now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, you should listen to Jesus. Because he has created you, because he sustains you, and because he has redeemed you. Now, let's draw this together. Let's make a couple of applications as we finish up. Seeing Jesus like this changes everything. Or it should, right? It should change everything. We have every reason necessary to tune our ears to listen to Jesus. He is exalted over all parts of our lives. He lives as the exalted king over all of creation. There is nothing outside of the realm of his authority. So I ask by way of application this one simple question. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? This first step to stopping the drift is to anchor our souls to Jesus Christ. We sang it this morning, right? It's in Hebrews. We have an anchor of the soul who is both sure and steadfast and entered the presence behind the veil. He was the forerunner, Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He is the one to which we must anchor our soul. So do you feel far away from him? Friend, if you have not believed in Jesus, it's your sin that separates you. It's your sin that pushes you farther and farther away. It, it It doesn't close the gap for you to continue to live the way that you see fit. But you will constantly and continually feel out of place, unfulfilled, and far from Jesus as you embrace your sin and reject your Savior. So, would you repent? Would you give up your sin? Would you give yourself to Jesus? Would you accept and receive his free gift of salvation? You've heard this morning who he is. He is good. He is light. He is truth. Give yourself to him. For my brothers and sisters, those of you who have received Jesus Christ, have you felt the drift? I ask you, what voices are you listening to? We live in a world of noise all around us every day. It shouts at us from our TVs, from social media, from our computers and phones. It calls us to fear. It calls us to worry. It calls us to covetousness and strife. All of these voices and all of these noises filling our ears and our minds and our heads, and we get to the point where it doesn't feel like we can hear Jesus anymore. So I ask you, who are you listening to? Would you tune the voices out? Would you shut it off? Would you put it in your pocket? Would you put it in the next room? 
Would you throw it in the lake? Would you listen to Jesus? How deeply do you think about him? How often do you tune out the noise of the world? How often do you seek to sit down with the scriptures to tune out the noise even of your own selfish heart cries? How often do you sit with yourself and instead of listening to the voices internally that would push you towards fear and doubt and guilt, how often would you start talking to yourself about Jesus? How often would you come back to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 and remind yourself that Jesus purged by himself all of my sins and he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and I exist now as a child of God because of the spirit that lives within me that tells me I am his. And I exist not as one far away, but because of Jesus, I have been drawn close. I have been made near. Stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself about Jesus. How do we do that? The obvious answer, I think, and maybe some of the, easy, the easiest answer, I guess I guess would say a Sunday school answer, right? The Bible, <laughs> right? But I think it's, it's more than just the Bible, right? I think it's how we approach the Bible. If someone came up to you and asked, what's this book all about? Would you be able to tell them? Can you clearly and concisely say, hey, this is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemptive work to restore me from my fallen nature to what he intends me to be. As I read God's word, do I read it as simply a map or an instruction book or a rule book? I don't, I don't like reading any of those things. <laughs> okay, We don't naturally sit down and just read instruction books. I guess maybe some people do. Maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> We don't naturally do that, right? We want to read a story. You know what we have here in God's word? We have a story of the glory of God displayed to us in its fullness through the Lord Jesus Christ to call us out of our broken, sinful state and restore us to what he created us to be in mercy and grace. We have hope. And if we would read God's word with our eyes ready to see Jesus and our ears ready to listen to him, you know what we will find? Hope. Hope. That I have a Savior who can hold me together when I can't hold myself together. That I have a King who can take this broken world and put it back together. I have a promise of a kingdom yet to come in which the king of righteousness rules over all things in light, in truth, in hope, in peace. Brothers and sisters, would you listen to Jesus?